You're listening to Redemption City Church. For more information, check us out at redemptioncitychurch.com. Diving right in, we are continuing in our wildfire series, and uh, this comes out of the book of Acts when it says, what seemed like tongues of fire came and sat on each of the apostles in the upper room, and uh, we've long said this, we've had this little statement that goes like this, when we say a little bit of wildfire is better than no fire, am I keeping you busy there, Tashina? <laughs> She's like this with her thing. I preached in Australia one time, and they said, it's going to be televised. So the guy came up to me beforehand, and they had taped out a little yellow square on the stage, and he said, you can't leave that yellow square. And I just said, um, good luck. Get your, get your cameraman a Red Bull. He's going to need it. But uh, what was I say? Uh, wildfire. So we just said this, a little bit of wildfire is better than no fire. And I think sometimes churches get so caught up in this thing of like, well, you know, what happens if we open ourselves up to the ministry of the Holy Spirit and something weird happens? Well, the truth is this, if something weird happens, we can explain it away from Scripture. We can open our Bibles and we can look at that and go, no, that was weird. That's not biblical. And we can roll it back. But what we cannot open our Bibles and explain away is a powerless church. When nothing ever happens, nobody ever gets saved, nobody ever gets healed, nobody ever gets touched by the power and the presence of God. You cannot find that church in Scripture. And so we have to open ourselves up just a little bit. I'm convinced of this. If we're going to see all that God has for us, we're going to have to learn to live a little bit comfortably with some mystery. We're never going to understand all of God. I'm absolutely convinced of that. And we do have that in Scripture. We see uh, Revelation, the first part of Revelation, write it down on a scroll, send it to the churches. And then we have Revelation 10, write it down on a scroll and seal the scroll. And I think that's when pastors and preachers get in trouble, is when we try and explain what God has intended to be unexplainable. See, that was one of you. Who said yeah to that? Who's? It was two. Okay, there you go. Uh, anyway, you guys are making me work hard this morning, man. Come on, just work with me. Thank you. It's all right. It's okay to encourage, it's okay to encourage the preacher every now and then. I'm just, I'm just trying to... Trying to help you. Anyway, so that's the point. A little bit of wildfire is better than no fire. This morning, I believe this is wildfire chapter 8 or part 8, and it's the gospel beyond ourselves. The gospel beyond ourselves. I believe God has us on a journey here, and this morning we're going to talk about exactly that thing, what we do with the gospel, how it's intended, not just for ourselves, but all the world. Matthew 28, going to all the world, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a mandate for us to go into all the world, we've worked hard with the interns. We've got these four interns that are just absolutely incredible young people. They spend Wednesday morning, Friday morning, and then they serve here with us on a Sunday morning. And um, just been working through this thing with them, what the difference between what is prescriptive in Scripture and what is descriptive in Scripture. And what is descriptive is just like it's just describing what happens. It doesn't mean like because it describes what happens, we have to go and do it that way. But there is part of Scripture that is also prescriptive. In other words, we do. That is how we do it, in the prescribed way. And Matthew 28 is definitely a prescriptive Scripture. Go into all the world. That's a command and a commissioning all at the same time. Are you doing okay? 
Acts 1 verse 8 says, You will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now the challenge for that thing is that thing is simultaneous. The, the command to them wasn't in Jerusalem, and when you reach Jerusalem, you can go to Judea. And when you reach all of Judea, if that was true, the gospel would not have left Jerusalem, because all of Jerusalem is still not saved. Does that make sense? And so there's a simultaneous to this thing. We understand those two scriptures together. Go into all the world. You will be my witnesses in all of these places. There's a simultaneousness to that. I'm telling you, friends, as a church, we do not have a biblical mandate to sit and wait until we're a certain size, until we've got a certain amount of money in the bank, until we've got a certain amount of leaders, before we walk out the God-given mandate of taking the gospel to all nations. God spoke to us a couple of years ago about 10 in 10, some combination of 10 church plants or 10 multi-sites in the next 10 years. And that's cool. Since that word, we've, we've had two church plants, one back into California and one into Launceston, which is in Tasmania, Australia. So we're two down and eight to go. See, only Lorna Hall is excited about that. So for real, I mean, as we look at that, 10 in 10, some combination of 10 church plants or 10 multi-sites in the next 10 years, we're not going to achieve that in human effort. We're going to have to open ourselves up to the dealings of the Holy Spirit, to the presence and power of God in every single thing that we do. Okay, you're doing all right. Go with me to Acts chapter 14. I've started to get a little bit more nervous about preaching on a Sunday. Because we, we have got these four interns, and what these interns are doing now is they are preaching every Friday morning for 10 minutes each, and they're preaching on the six Hebrew doctrines, which is absolutely brilliant. And why that makes me nervous is because I'm teaching them how to preach. And I just get the idea that they're sitting here every Sunday morning going, you're not doing anything you told us to do. So, 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 so I'm getting... I'm getting, a little bit, I'm getting a little bit nervous about my preaching lately because I think like they're evaluating me like I get to evaluate them every Friday morning. <laughs> but I do want to say this. They, they are such incredible, four incredible young people. And if, you've, if you, they preach for 10 minutes each, 40 minutes of preaching. If you want to hear 40 minutes of preaching, it'll change your life. Come be at my place at 9.30 on a Friday morning. You've got a Friday morning off. Come sit and listen to these kids preach. They will absolutely blow your mind. Okay, here we go. Father, we love you. As we approach your word, would you lead us and guide us? Would you open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits, Lord, to what it is that you want to say to us this morning, Father? In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 14, verse 21. They preached the good news in that city, won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Poseidia, they came to Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. From Attilia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. That's such a key text, eh? for the work they had now completed. I want to tell you, friends, sometimes in the kingdom we have a lot of people that are real good at starting things, but not a lot of people that are real good at finishing them. And we have to complete the task that Jesus has given us. We have to finish. They completed the task. The work had now been completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together. 
and reported all that God had done through them and how he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles and they stayed there a long time with the disciples. What a brilliant little snapshot of what's going on in the early church and how the early church understood this thing of taking the gospel out beyond themselves. So I'm just going to, we're just going to dive in. I've got 10 points this morning. We're probably going to get to four in the 15 minutes that I've got left. I want to say this. Number one, they preached the good news and won a large number of disciples. I want to say this, church. We have one master, Jesus. We have one mandate, the gospel to all nations. And we have one message, the gospel. It really is that simple. The challenge with that is that the, the, the commentators tell me this. There is no single passage of Scripture that, encapula- that encapsulates the whole gospel. Now, I find that fascinating, but I think there's a reason to it. I want to say this. Act 7, if you go and read the whole chapter of Act 7, comes pretty close. Romans, the first four chapters of Romans, Romans 1 through 4, comes pretty close. Luke 15 comes pretty close. And 1 Corinthians 15 comes pretty close. I'm convinced it's by God's design that we don't just have the single snapshot, okay, that's the gospel, we can move on. There's something about God laying this gospel out, portioning it out, that causes us to keep looking, keep digging, and keep searching. Are you doing okay? It's it's being said about the gospel that the gospel is so shallow a baby can play in it, but it's so deep an elephant can drown in it. And I'm convinced of this, friends. We can have as little of the gospel as we want or as much of the gospel as we want. And it really is going to be up to us. How far are we going to go? How much are we going to dig? How much are we going to read? How much are we going to continue to open ourselves up to what God is doing through the gospel? Convinced it's by God's design. Romans 1.16 says this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. Not ashamed. Some translations say this, I have complete confidence in the gospel. Do you think you can have complete confidence in something you don't really understand? You don't, right? You can't have complete confidence. We're going to do this thing. You're going to, let's think about something. You're going to take flying lessons. Do you have complete confidence the first time you sit behind the controls of an airplane, you're going to take it off? No, you don't, because you don't understand. You are learning. And I want to tell you, there's something in this thing of us getting to this place of saying, I'm not ashamed. For us to get to the place of I'm not ashamed, where we can share our faith with confidence, we're going to have to build our confidence in the gospel. And for that, we're going to have to keep going back and back and back and back to the gospel again. Are you doing okay this morning? We're going to have to be in the gospel not just for our own sake, but to develop the confidence, full assurance that we can share the gospel unashamedly with full confidence. That's how we get to Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. When it comes to this thing of 10 in 10, church planting, gospel to all nations, we have to ask ourselves this question, why are we going? Why are we going? Why are we multi-siting? Why would we go and start something down south or up north or somewhere in the mountains? Why would we do that? Why are we doing it? Because it makes us look good, because we're building our empire, because somebody feels like, well, this is a cool next step for me. I was an elder, now I need to be a lead elder, now I need to be the guy. Are we multi-siding because it's closer to where we live, so this looks very exciting. I won't have to drive 30 or 40 minutes through the snow. Why are we going? Why are we multi-siding? I want to suggest this to you, my friends, this morning. There's only two legitimate reasons that we would go. Number one, we've heard God. And number two, there are unbelievers there that we believe God has called us to reach. That's what, 
That's how this passage starts. That's how they preached the good news. Why are we going? Why are we establishing a Godhead, a beachhead to preach the gospel and see a, a large number of disciples want to the Lord? The only reason. We've heard God. We believe there are unbelievers there. When we first moved to America, we came and spoke to Dudley, who was the lead guy, was leading New Covenant Ministries at the time. And uh, we, we, had, we had thought that we had heard God to go plant in San Diego. And 19 years later, I'm getting further away from San Diego. And, but, but God often works like that. It's the trigger. It's like what gets us out the door. And so when I spoke to Dudley, he said, I want, have you ever been to San Diego? I said, no. He said, I want you to go to San Diego. I want you to spend three or four days in San Diego. I want you to walk the streets and see if you can lead somebody to the Lord. I was so offended. I was so mad. I'm like Dudley. Never said it to him. But I was thinking, Dudley, I have led thousands of people to the Lord all over the world. But you see, that's what he was testing. He was testing that heart. Why are you going to San Diego? Because it's a cool city, because it's a beach city, because the temperature and the climate are similar to South Africa. Why are you going? If you're not going because there are unbelievers there that you've got faith to reach, don't go. Wrong reason. Are you doing okay this morning? We go because we've heard God, and we go because we believe there are unbelievers there that God has called us to reach. Number two, they return to Lystra, Iconia, and Antioch. And I want to say this, friends. There's a returning. There's a going and a returning. There's this ongoing two-way traffic. Spoke to a pastor recently that pastors a big church here in, uh, in Broomfield. And when he asked me, how have you guys managed to plant three churches? I'm like, I, you know, and he, and he was asking a financial question. They got a church that's around 1,500 people. He said, we can't afford to plant churches. How can you afford to plant churches? And I had to answer him and be like, I, I, uh, 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 I really don't know. All I know is this. Every time somebody goes, we empty the bank account. That's all I know. Now listen, you've got to time your going, right? Because <laughs> if you go, and then the next person that goes is two months later. It's like, oh, here's a check for 500 bucks. Have fun. <laughs> so, so there is this commitment, right, uh, about going but returning. There's this ongoing commitment. It's not about like, okay, God's called you to go plant a church in San Diego, Go and have fun. Hope you make it. See you in heaven. That's not, that's not how we're going to get this job done. There has to be this ongoing commitment of going and returning and sending teams and coming back. Are you, are you doing okay this morning? And, and all of that, friends, comes down to this relational commitment. It comes down to a radical commitment to deep, deep relationships. Delighted that Jimmy is going to be with us again early next year from Sydney, Australia. I was so delighted. A guy that we sent to go plant in Sydney, he's an Aussie. I don't even like Australians. So when Australia and South Africa play rugby, it's war. It's absolute war. It's not a game anymore when we play rugby. Anyway, I need to move on. Number three, strengthening and encourage them to remain true to the faith. Let me tell you, strengthening and encouraging is, and encouraging is an all-in commitment. Right? Because when somebody goes to plant a church... We need to be there for what they need to get that church going. When we moved here 19 years ago, coming up for 20 years ago, when we moved to Los Angeles, we didn't really have an understanding. 
we didn't really know what, it, what, what kids' ministry looked like in America. And, and we were crying out for help. And we had these conversations with Americans face-to-face. They would tell us this, we loved what happened here this morning, but call us when you get your act together. Call us when you know what you're doing. And so we are desperate, crying out, God, we need somebody to help strengthen and encourage us. We need somebody to help us understand the American way of thinking and the American way of doing ministry. And God sent us Darren. (laughs) 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 Darren's Darren's just going, nope. But that was in God's wisdom. God started to add and started to send us people that could, uh, that could help us and started to send us people that could, that could help talk us through the culture, the different cultures that we were trying to break through in. You doing okay? In the light of 10 in 10, friends, in the light of 10 in 10, we need at a minimum 10 worship teams, 10 preachers, 10 AV experts, 10 sound engineers, 10 kids ministry leaders, at a minimum. You think we're going to achieve that in our own effort? No, we're not. We're going to have to be open to the leading and the dealing of the Holy Spirit. Because let me tell you something. When somebody goes and plans for us to send a kids ministry team in there or a worship team in there, is strengthening and encouraging. Are you doing okay? So this is an all-in kind of a deal. This is like, okay, in this context, in 10 in 10, I might be sent somewhere to strengthen somebody. Just look at the person next to you. Give them that look. Just be like, he's talking to you right now. That's it. Preacher's talking to you right now. This is all, this is all in. <laughs> Some of you are doing your absolute best. You're like, no, don't look at me. Okay, number four. Number four, we're not going to get anywhere near five, but we'll land on this. Number four. I love this text that says we must go through many hardships. I want to say this, friends, there is nowhere in the Bible that it says the mission will be easy. There is nowhere in the Bible where it says the mission will be easy. And we're fooling ourselves if we think that the movement that started in the greatest sacrifice known to man, Jesus on a cross, the movement that started in the greatest sacrifice known to man will be lived out in comfort and convenience. We're fooling ourselves. can look at the early church and what they went through. Persecution and shipwrecks and beatings and floggings. And we're not there. But we are going to have to face our own challenges. If we're going to take the gospel to where God intends it to go to. I want to say this to you this morning, friends. I think we've bought into a lie. We've bought into complete fallacy. It's a worldly saying but somehow it made its way into the kingdom and kingdom thinking as well. We've bought into a complete lie. You ready? Safety first. What a complete lie. It's an absolute fallacy. It's an absolute fallacy. If we wanted to be a little bit more accurate, we could say safety third. Did I lose you? Listen, when you, listen, I'm a motorcycle guy. I ride Harleys for fun. That's what I do. In the motorcycling community, in the motorcycling culture, we've got this saying, go fast, don't die. Does that sound like safety first? 
No, it sounds more like safety third, right? I mean, I, I don't want to die. I don't want to crash. But if it's safety first, I never get on another motorcycle in my life. Are you doing okay? How, how many of you snowboard or ski? Put your hands up. You know people down the mountains every year? If it's safety first, we're never snowboarding, we're never skiing, we're never doing another thing. Right? Well, we've, we've got a surfing culture in South Africa. We've got a large surfing culture in South Africa. Maybe because like 75% of our country is coastline. Good waves. And we've got this surfing culture in South Africa. But we've also got these things called sharks. <laughs> Safety first keeps you on the beach. Are you doing okay? No, wait, wait, wait. Let's think about that. Because in that surfing culture, we also say this. If you drove to the beach, the dangerous part of your journey is over. So if it's safety first, we never get in a car, we never get on a motorcycle, we never go snowboarding, we never get in an airplane, we never turn on the stove at home. <laughs> safety first. Safety third. The first one is go fast. The second one is look good while you're doing it. <laughs> and then the third one is don't crash. You asked. I'm just telling you, you asked. <laughs> Are you doing okay? But somehow that creeps into the kingdom, right? And we go safety first. God's spoken to me about this thing, and I take on the safety first mindset. I take on the safety first attitude. And what that does for me, it self-protects and it self-preserves. Who are you protecting yourself or preserving yourself against? At that point, God. At that point, we've stepped into a place that says, I know better, and I can do a better job of looking after myself than you can, Lord. That doesn't sound like God and faith. Are you doing okay this morning? And so I love that scripture that says this, your word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a beautiful scripture. Love it. I've got this little tactical flashlight, right? It's about this big, and it'll shine five miles down the road. Tactical flashlight. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible does not say your word will be a tactical flashlight to my feet. <laughs> and sometimes that's what we want to do. I want to know the end from the beginning. Okay, I'll go plan the church, Lord, but can you guarantee me success? I want to know the end from the beginning. I'm putting myself in the place of God. God is the only one who knows the end from the beginning. And what my job is, what my responsibility is, is to walk in obedience. And the Bible says your word is a lamp. Having grown up on a farm in Central Africa, understand what that lamp is. It's a little bit of oil and a wick. And when you hold that thing up real high, you know what it shows you? Your next step. It doesn't show you the end from the beginning. It's not showing you five miles down the road. Your word is a lamp. Step. Your word is a lamp. Step. That's how we work into the will and purposes of God for our lives. And let me tell you, friends, that is the safest place on earth. Are you doing okay? There we go. We're doing okay this morning. I want to tell you, friends, this is not abandoned hope all you enter here, right? This is not that. But this is us not holding ourselves, not going like, well, I can protect myself, I can preserve myself. It, it's, it's not about that. We can't even do that with our heart. You spend 10 minutes in the ministry, you'll understand people can hurt you, people can disappoint you, people can let you down. They don't do it deliberately. I'm sure I do that to all of you, and I definitely don't do it deliberately, right? And I spoke over Cheryl on, on Saturday at the Leadership Summit, right? And I mean, I always tease Cheryl because she's crying. 
No matter what's happening, no matter what I'm preaching about, she's sitting there. Tears at night. Yeah. How, how, long did, how long did you guys lead in San Clemente? 17. 17 years these guys led a church in San Clemente. 17 years. Incredibly faithful couple. Incredibly faithful couple. Right? But if that's safety first, it's like, gee, this happened and that happened and that disappointed me and that didn't work out. So what do I do? Safety first. I start to build these protective walls. And I'm telling you, friends, it is one of the greatest tragedies of ministry that people enter the ministry tender-hearted, and because of all the stuff that comes at us, we grow hard-hearted. That's a tragedy because we need more tender-hearted leaders. And I love that. I love that she can just sit there and weep. We're talking about something. We're talking about something. She's just, this is so beautiful. Right? It's then, oh, no, she's crying because I said that. I'll get you, Cheryl, one way or the other, I'm telling you now. Does that make sense, friends? We've got to continue just to open ourselves up. Give up on this thing of self-preservation, self-preservation and self-protecting, and put our hand in the hand of God. Psalm 73, you lead me by my right hand. I'm going to put my hand in your hand, God, and I'm going to trust you. I don't like it when we humanize God. I don't like it when we, when we try and explain God with human characteristics. I don't like that. I don't like it. Right? But could you imagine a father holding his three-year-old son or daughter's hand and leading them out into the traffic? That's a fallen, frail, fallible human father. How much more will our father, when we put our hand in his hand and respond to his call and his direction and his plans and his purposes, how much more will he lead us? Saying, you don't have to worry about this, my son. You don't have to worry about this, my girl. I've got you. Let's have the worship team up. Let's stand. While these guys are making their way up. There's there's going to be a moment here for us. I want to say this, friends. There is no such song as I surrender 95%. It just really is. I surrender all. You doing okay this morning? We've got a moment here just to do some business with God. Just allow God to speak. We're not laying hands on anybody this morning and sending them to China. You don't have to worry about that. There's a moment here just for us to open our hearts and open our spirits and say, God, what are you saying? What's your next step for me? Because I want to be faithful with that next step. I want to step and step and step without self-protecting or self-preserving. I trust you this morning, Lord.